0: Quick plug before this episode starts, please review our podcast at rate this podcast slash A420 podcast. That's the letter A, the number 420 podcast. Uh, If you submit a review currently, I think only uh, iTunes, our Apple podcast is up there. Uh, We're working on getting the Spotify link on rate this podcast as well. Uh, It'll help the searchability for our podcast in the future. Thank you and enjoy the episode. Welcome back to the podcast. Act for 20. Episode 8. I think we're going to title this How to Play Matchups, but also we might call it Who's the Beatdown? Michael, what did you do last week in Flesh and Blood before we start on the main topic? I really didn't do much,
1: but yesterday I did a draft. Okay. And I was, I was fine again.
0: You say you're so defeated when you say that.
1: Uh, I just feel like everyone thinks I forced the hero but uh I had a Dromine mine passing to me uh-huh and pack two pick two I get a heat wave Yes. so I know the guy passing to me is also not five s and I end up having a great deck I go three yes. oh the other two fives in the six person pot are about as far away as possible okay. I felt like I was gonna be good five seat I got rewarded and uh yeah but uh yeah I they draft five again despite trying to
0: force isen in the first five picks do you think it has to do with reputation at this point it's like no. i know no, michael's no. just gonna draft fine no. no
1: i don't think it is because what 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 actually happened in the draft was um the person i don't know if we want to talk about it too much but the person passing the person i faced round one was forcing five yeah so they took a ninja card first. Ah, uh, okay, okay. And then the person after that was forcing Dromai. Yes, great. Because the but... five forcer passed him a invoke Domni, uh, uh Draconae Optimi. Okay. And then Joe, who's the person who's immediately passing to me, gets like a pick pack one, pick three. Is missing a ninja card and it's missing a Dromai card. <laughs> so okay. he's like, "I guess I'm Icelander."
0: That's, that's and then
1: that. I look at the pack and I'm like, "Okay, like I, I kind of get some." I'm like, uh, it feels like everything's missing. Yeah.
0: So like, I took a couple find. generics. Oh, okay, generics. Got it. Yeah. Huh.
1: I actually ended the pack first pack with eight generics. Okay. There was three packs in a row on the second cycle of the of the pack one that I took three blue trades. You know. Uh, and so I hadn't committed until pack two, but pack two pick two. When I saw the heat wave, I was like, I'm in. Okay. That's good enough for me.
0: Fair enough. I I've just been crafting decks. I posted on Twitter a tier list. Yes, yes. I don't know how accurate this tier list is, but um, this is just how I feel at the time. And I think it'll be interesting to see how everything kind of shakes out in the next two weeks. Yes.
1: Uh, yeah. So I guess today's topic is like, it's something more macro. Um, it's us trying to talk about Some things that you should think about basically before you even start your first turn in a matchup. Before you even draw your first hand. um, Questions you should be able to answer and basically your overall game plan.
0: Yeah, and some of of what we talk about is going to impact your decision-making mid-game. But a lot of it is, like Michael said, before the game even starts. And you guys are both presenting your heroes. And this often will help... This mentality will
1: help you in your sideboarding. um, Particularly, I think, in Limited. um, When you don't actually have like written out uh, sideboards. um, Or also when you're playing in Constructed and you're facing a matchup that you might not have prepared for. Mm -hmm. um, Just being able to take a step back and think, okay, even though I've not played against this hero, this specific matchup before here are some questions that I should ask and be able to answer and that should dictate how I should,
0: you know, play out this game. Uh, And originally uh, I thought about this when we were playing Magic the Gathering. Uh, So like in that game identifying uh, what is like the simplest game state that you can generate in order to get a win. And so in that game, um, for people who aren't as familiar with how the game works, Basically both players draw one card every turn some of the cards are dead They're just like uh, later on they just lands. They don't do anything for you. Some cards have pure counters uh, It's like uh, if every card had phantasm to like a specific type of card That's kind of like how magic is structured Like some creatures will just die to like specific cards or they just like other cards just will do nothing against them <clears throat> so in that game the simplest kind of board state that you can, like, win in is where uh, both players have zero cards in hand and you have a 2-2 on the battlefield. Or a 1-1. Yeah, or a 1-1. I, I I think I wrote 2-2 just because it ends the game, like, reasonably quickly. Yeah. Yeah. Creating that kind of a game state, maybe, like, your deck isn't really equipped to do that. Um, A lot of the decks that I used to draft could not get to this game state because I could not have the cards to trade with your cards effectively yeah uh and so i would have to play something that maybe like prevents you from being able to block and then i will just like lose all the trades but just like have enough power on the on the battlefield to just kill you in one attack, and this kind of a uh, concept, some of it translates into flesh and blood, and some of it doesn't. Particularly, I think the idea of simplifying the game state uh, applies uh, very well. I heard it a lot when I was watching the um, the video from Battle in Auckland. I think Newson and I forget who was the other person who was casting it. They were talking about it a lot in the um, in the finals match with Kale. Uh, McCreeth on Bravo, showstopper, against Winton Bedford on Oldham. And they always talked about simplifying the game state, and what they're referring to is when Kale would just take the damage that Winton, Like, Winton attacks with Sledge. Kale just takes six, and then he, like, attacks back with, I don't know, like, Gazelle's Belting with Go Again, and then he attacks with his Anothos. And you're basically just, like, having both players, like, race their life down to the point where you're just kind of like forced to block. Yeah, so to be clear, simplifying the game state is trying to
1: effectively race, but or another way of thinking of it is just getting the both players' life totals to kind of a a low enough point where
0: um, life becomes like a limiting factor. Yeah, it's just like where the decision, like you just like don't have that many decision trees anymore. When you're at the Mm -hmm. beginning of the game, you can decide, oh, do I want to... Use my life here, or do I want to use a card here? Do I want to set up my arsenal, whatever? Uh, if you're like low enough to like basically die to like a, an attack, like you don't have a choice; you have to block the attack, right? Another thing that's different about Flesh and Blood from Magic: The Gathering, and I, I think this is something that people get caught up on a lot. You're new to Flesh and Blood, is that card advantage, as you know it from other games, doesn't really exist in Flesh and Blood because in Flesh and Blood both uh, both players, for the most part, unless you're playing like Doll, draw four additional cards every turn cycle. Or of you draw up to four, so you, there's no benefit really to like not playing a card uh, unless you can like stick it in your arsenal and carry it over to the next turn. You just get up to four, so you want to like play out your four cards as best you can like every turn, right? So then uh, the question is, instead of like it being cards, what kind of advantages can you generate in Flesh and Blood? and uh in flesh and blood life total for the most part is the the resource that ends up uh you get you either gain or lose value from the easiest example is you have a card that blocks for two it attacks for four if you block with it you're just like affecting the total like life race two less than if you attacked with it right for something a little bit more complex uh, this is like uh, value in constructed let's say if you're playing Oldham, if you attack with your winter's whale you you pitch one card it does four damage plus a frostbite it's worth about five if you save up uh two cards and you play like a blue glacial and you're doing eight if you play a red glacial you do ten if you get a fourth card really like sometimes all you can do is just like dominate the red glacial you don't really get like additional points out like points of damage out of it so Oldham in this scenario doesn't actually like net gain any uh, point value from additional cards in his hand. So in the, in the gl- Red Glacial example, when if you play that card and you spend three cards, you do, you do ten. It's as if the first card did four and then the other two cards do three each uh, when you compare it to the Winter's Whale. Actually, the Winter's Whale is slightly more efficient if your other two cards block for three. A counter example, if you're playing five. Uh, Your first card it probably does like three damage either you just like pitch it to like attack with your weapon Or you attack for three sometimes you can attack for four the best card that you can play is snatch Uh, Your two cards you attack for seven so your additional card is adding like four points If you go like zero for three go again weapon phoenix flame or like zero for three or like one for four weapon So your second card is worth four but then if you keep like a four card hand Um, a sequence that's not too uh, far-fetched would be like you have like a 0 for 3, a 1 for 4 you do weapon, flame, lava burst and in that scenario all your cards do 16 maybe like you're threatening a mask trigger so your like 4th card effectively added uh, like 9 plus points of value Uh, your 3rd and 4th cards over the 2 card hand and this kind of uh, like like what cards you have available to you kind of inform how your how your values shake down and kind of as a result, so like if both players are at low life totals, then usually I think like the old him is like winning uh, if you are in that like specific matchup, right? If the old him can somehow get the phi to like a low life total, then the old him is winning because then the phi has to give up value uh from how their de- decks are constructed uh whereas the phi wants to play like as many four to five card hands as possible against the oldum yeah i mean just in pure math like
1: the phi cards scale extremely well like you said one card hand does like 3 to 4 two card hand does like 7 but then a four card hand doing 16 means that those last two cards card number three card number four each can give about 4.5 points of damage yeah which is just like nuts that's like if they printed a card that literally is like wounding blow but it's
0: Mm 4.5 yeah exactly uh this carries i think um the general rule is most um most like aggro quote-unquote decks how they're defined currently in flesh and blood are the ones that Gain this kind of scaling, and "quote unquote" control decks are ones where they don't scale, and so therefore, they get more value from blocking. So if if you're wondering, I think like <laughs> most Americans, Michael, you said this. Most Americans like uh like simplifying yeah, the game, boom, boom, like, the boom, like, the game no, state. They just like no 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 blocks. No blocks. Um,
1: no blocks. My turn. My turn.
0: Yeah, but actually, in actuality, uh, um. The simplified game state actually probably like benefits Oldham. Uh, when you like, why are control decks like playable into, um, into aggro decks? Because they can, they can create situations where uh, if you ice react, then the fi is, ends up playing on like three card, four card hands instead of four or five card hands. Uh, you trade like one card for one card. If you guys are both at low life total, then the fi has to block. And if I attack with the Winter's Whale when you're at one, then you have to block at least two cards. If you block two cards in the example that we gave, then I'm like, quote-unquote, blocking nine damage with the card that I pitched to attack with the Winter's Whale on the next turn, right? This is just like, it's not like basic stuff, but this is just like, um, once you get into these situations, like, you're just kind of like forced into doing whatever you need to do to stay alive. And so... um, I think the, the tricky part for any matchup is to kind of figure out how to either get into those situations or to avoid those situations. Here's a here's a fun example uh, from calling Krakow when Vizzerai was kind of OP. Uh, Michael, you know uh, in the Viserai mirror, if the other Vizzerai goes first and they make three rune chants or four rune chants, you're like sweating, right? I already feel dead. Yeah, yeah. And so... Um, especially if they have
1: a Hope Merchant's Hood and they didn't crack it and they just Arsenal card. Yeah, yeah. Like, I'm at that point willing to bet $1,000, especially when you are the top eight. That's yeah. a Sonata.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, What's it called? It, it's just, like, the, the thing is that uh, the main difference between CC and Blitz is that Blitz, you enter, like, the simplified game state much sooner. And so even yeah. at 20 life, you are basically already in this game state where my... Full power attack uh, can basically do your full health. And so it kind of informs like how you have to play it. So like, for example, like you're in the situation, your opponent makes three or four rune chance. You have to kind of creatively think about like, okay, maybe I have to kind of like all in. Maybe I have to pop my coat merchant's hood, try to find like a way to combo off to threaten at least like 20, 22 damage. So maybe he'll have to like block a card or two out of his hand, right? Mm-hmm. That was actually like I think one of the reasons why uh Akrakov when I was going first in the Vizirai Mirror, I chose to play grasp of the Ark knight instead of um Quill uh, Hand quillhand against like a lot of the other players it's just like I know that they are kind of forced to try to like combo into me and by having this extra like two life it means more than like being able to generate an extra like I don't know like maybe like one two points of damage uh on my second turn
1: yeah also because you're going first it was like you could almost always make a rune champ with the grasp so it wasn't really you weren't losing that much yeah
0: exactly so i think kind of what this uh whole episode was was motivated by uh and i wanted to talk about uh this uh article that was written a long time ago by uh long-standing magic player michael flores uh i think he has our current podcast with one of our friends, uh, Roman. I didn't know that. Cool. Yeah, uh, he used to do a podcast with Patrick Chapin. Now he does uh, a podcast with Roman Fusco. Basically, um, and we'll provide a link to in the description. But it's basically one of the earliest articles that was written about understanding your role, both like within the game and then also like uh, in matchups. So main questions that you that he brings up is so in in his uh idea is if you have more damage then you're the beatdown if you have more removal like more cards that trade then you're not uh the analogs in flesh and blood would kind of be like a similar thing it's like if i can dump my cards to tack on more damage and scale better then i want to apply pressure but if i cannot like scale and like uh profitably apply pressure then i kind of want to play like a little bit more defensive right yeah like uh it just in flesh and blood the analog is often just what is
1: your deck like how do you get your deck to be in a state where it's doing like the most optimal most min max amount of things mm-hmm. and um the the two kind of ups end of the spectrum at least right now in cc are like ultim on one end where it, Like now, ultim builds are a little bit better, but like back in the day, it was just like you're hard pressed to like have turns where you could actually just like do a lot of things. Right. Um, And then five on the other end of the spectrum, which is just like almost every hand, if it's like unmolested, is is like a decent amount of damage consistently.
0: Yeah, I think the tough part, especially about, um, and I kind of want to talk about uh, specific card choice uh that you mentioned this so i think beforehand uh like one of the most powerful things i guess like before pulverize was printed that you could do an old him is play like a red glacial and so like your cards don't really scale better blocking versus attacking we kind of already went over that so then the question is like okay if you have to take damage to do that play then it's not really beneficial for you but at the same time you do want to pressure your opponent's life to get them into like the state where they kind of are incentivized to block because then you end up blocking more damage by attacking later on
1: hmm
0: and I actually wanted to talk about like one of the card choices. I think um, Maybe like people thought it's kind of weird what if they watched my um, Utrecht list for Oldham. like why am I playing red arctic incarceration? to cost like an action point and if you uh Like the trade-off is you either like you played like a blue ice and you can attack it their at winter's well, or you can give them three frostbites, right? And so One of the reasons why I'm playing that card is because I wanted to Create a situation where I could simplify the game Without like necessarily taking a lot of damage actually I started playing it because <laughs> I got ranch really hard by that card when I was playing Fi at SCG con Syracuse from a Lexi player I think that one card um, dropped my damage output on a turn when I was going to like have one of my big combo turns from like 22 damage, like three. It basically, it's like a way for Oldham to play some of the more disruptive, like uh, bigger damage hands that will end up like simplifying the game state and uh, give you more damage, or let you block more damage from them having to block cards out of their hand. Because if you play... Um, card like red arctic then your opponent's damage output like instead of like attacking for four and giving them a frostbite so you're like influencing five points that card could potentially influence like 10 plus points by itself
1: yeah and i think like if you are playing a red arctic every single turn you're not going to win the game mm-hmm. but red arctic um in your deck fulfill the very like setup role yeah where now your next hand the one that has like the spinal the terrace under whatever you want to play those cards but you end up blocking with them a lot of times because <clears throat> your actual total damage output isn't that great right but a card like red arctic makes it so that you don't get punished as hard when you do have that hand it does put a little onus on your deck to give you that type
0: of hand the next turn yeah
1: might so yeah, just yeah.
0: give you four blues and then you're just like yeah
1: that's something that you
0: kind of have to like set up for so like oh like maybe one turn you arsenal the spinal you keep it in the arsenal yep. you draw the arctic sure. you play it so then you can play yeah. the Spinal the next turn. Uh, yeah. But it's just like, uh, I think, hopefully, uh, what I want to get out of uh, providing that example for the listeners is you kind of have to, like, broaden your uh, broaden your horizons as it pertains to um, understanding maybe, like, how you can get edges in certain matchups because I think gone are the days where you can just, like, play these, like, all all in on like one specific uh kind of strategy where it's either like i just never block and i just like only attack or i i'm playing fatigue and i just like block like every single hand um i i really don't think that that kind of like pure strategies uh really works that well anymore um even like the combo decks, even before they banned stubby hammers I think people are already trying to like figure out ways that you can like kind of disrupt that kind of gameplay. Yeah. I think um, something that
1: you mentioned um, that I want to touch base on is card advantage. So I don't think, I think like you could translate a lot of the things that we say into kind of the, the, the traditional magic, the gathering two for one, card advantage
0: mm-hmm.
1: um so like an example i thought about is yesterday when i was playing draft a my player attacked me with a red um what's the thing that makes the ash sweeping below yeah red sweeping blow pitching a red yeah so that was a two card attack for three damage and i just blocked one card or i could have not blocked a card but in, in in some sense that that's like almost like you know, they one for two themselves, right? Yeah. Um, But I think the reason why you'll hear us say, like, plus one, minus one, plus three, minus three instead, is because, like, life is often, like, a resource in that sense. Like, by not... I could have blocked one card, and that would have been, you know, your traditional magic gathering, two for one. Right. Uh, or I just took three there, because technically, to me, in my head, he just committed two cards to attack me for three. That's just, like... I'm so happy, right? Why am I so happy? Because normally when someone commits two cards to attack, mm-hmm. you're taking six or right. more, yeah. maybe even eight. Um, so I think, like, you know, you can think of these things in terms of card advantage, even though, you know, every single turn you do draw back up to four. Um, yeah. But we like to say plus minus uh, life point effect, like how much life points your cards are affecting. Because I think it's just like... It's a little
0: bit easier to understand what's really going on. I I think the reason why I said that card advantage doesn't apply as much is because, um, it's like, what is like the base currency of the game? So I think that my opinion is that in flesh and blood, the base currency is life, so Mm -hmm. all everything you can use, you can translate it into life. So a card is worth three because you can always, almost always use it to block for three. uh so like on the if you like flip it the other way around if you have three extra life then you can afford to not block with a card and use it for attack right yeah so the life life is kind of like the base currency where in magic obviously like life matters as well but then you have like a lot of cards like divination whatever you use it you draw two cards you you have Like things, and then you, since you carry over like your hand from turn to turn, usually like the cards that like accumulate, um, determine much more, uh, whether or not you can make certain plays than your life totals. Yeah. Like a two for one in magic,
1: sometimes is a time walk. Like if we were in that simplified games that you're talking about Yeah, and like your opponent has two creatures and you have one removal spell that somehow destroys both, like that's like. That's way different from this, like, you know, sweeping blow attack and I block situation. Yeah. Um, and, also, and, like, magic, like, if your opponent attacks with 2-2 and you have, like, a land in your hand, which is any card that, that doesn't, like, it's not a creature that has flash. Yeah. You just, you can't do anything about the 2-2. The like, you just take damage. So you can't just, like, put a random card in front of it and say I block with it. Right. Um. It, it, I, do, I do think that makes sense, right? Like, life being... A, base resource
0: yeah and and i think that i think that might be why a lot of players initially when they if they are starting to play um flesh and blood from other games might have a little bit of a difficulty in adjusting i remember when i first started playing flesh and blood do you remember we were like uh i think we were playing wtr sealed Mm -hmm. and i was like man this game sucks like I feel like I can't uh, do anything. I'm just like trying to play these slogisms and stuff and I can never like get the resources in Rhynar. And I just have to block all the time and just whatever. Um, and I think it's because at the time in, in my head, I was thinking like, oh, I want to be like playing more cards instead of thinking about it in terms of the value. I was still like in the magic mindset where like, it's like if I play more cards, then I'm getting advantages. Ah, uh, you are also the American Simplify the game state. Yeah, it's just like why do you apply? Yeah, do you remember we had like a lot of conversations? I I ranged from Pummel being the best card in the game to like Pummel being completely unplayable. Mm-hmm. I was like Pummel's so good, and then like the next day, sometimes not even the next day, like two hours later, I was like Pummel sucks. Yeah. Uh, I I do I do think um as as players become more experienced, then they start understanding that, like why sometimes blocking is better. I think actually uh, Uprising Limited is pretty interesting for that reason. There's a lot of um, value neutral decisions that you can make in Uprising Limited. I think the most uh, salient one that, that comes to mind is if you have a red lava vein loyalty It either blocks three or attacks three, right? So it's like a value-neutral decision to block with it or not, but it's often not value-neutral in the context of the game states that you're generating. Yep, yep. Sometimes it's not value-neutral in the sense that it
1: does help you get that Phoenix flame for free, but yeah, I I totally understand what
0: you mean. I guess, like, the, the main takeaway that I want for for everybody is like kind of like think about uh, these kinds of situations how does your deck generate advantages over other decks and what kind of game states like as opposed to just thinking about how your individual cards generate value how can you generate value via a game state michael did you have anything else that you thought would be important to add yeah so like knowing the, like
1: knowing how you can get to a, a like a game state where your is advantaged um or trying to avoid maybe there isn't really advantage scenario for you, but like trying to avoid a situation where you're opposing heroes advantage like I think that's like fifty percent of playing flesh and blood because if you don't get that correct, like you're just like you still could stumble into a victory mm-hmm. but it's like really really difficult, and it's you're not you're doing yourself a disservice. So, like, just knowing before the game starts, the moment your opponent reveals your hero, just knowing that you have a plan, do you want to get to a simplified board state? Do you want to shorten the game? Or do you want to kind of keep it a little bit more vague, keep the game going on a little bit longer? Um, your deck has, I don't know, maybe Art of War, or some cards that you just really want to draw and be able to take an opposing hero's hit and then be able to kind of, you know, unload. Like, these are things that, like, you I should already know.
0: know yeah i have a a good example for what you're saying uh so if you're playing like a traditional aggro deck usually you just kind of want like you're like value plus from like dumping your hand right but if you're Mm -hmm. playing like chain specifically it like benefits you a little bit to be like a little bit more defensive towards the beginning because later on in the game you're going to accrue extra advantages from banishing blood deck cards right like the more soul shackles that you have the longer that the game goes on, the more blood deck cards you're going to flip and you're going to gain advantages there. Yeah, and at that point,
1: you need to be able to actually take damage so that you can keep a full grip, ideally, in order to, you know, deploy all the threats. Right. So I think, uh, you know, this isn't really something that we're going to go over every single matchup with. But I guess if you guys have specific questions, I think, actually, wait, before I get there, Mm -hmm. something that's kind of interesting is um, you mentioned that Michael Flores, for his article who's the beatdown like one thing he says is the deck that has more like firepower the deck that has more like just like attack i guess is usually the beatdown right i think something interesting about flesh and blood is that deck is not always crystal clear there are ways to kind of subvert it uh some heroes are just not possible like Fi, it's like uh, you know like maybe you could build a Fi deck that's aiming to fatigue other people but Like, his (laughs) kit, that's just not what's going on. Just like a ninja in general. Um, Yeah, yeah. like, they don't have the armor. They don't have the... Yeah. I mean, Katsu did... There was a fatigue deck, like, back in Welcome to Raid days. Like, boomer fab days. But, like... (laughs)
0: Uh, Nowadays, that's just
1: not as much of a thing. Bring back Flick Flag. Um, Yeah, Flick Flag is obviously, like, an insane card, right? Like, it's a 0 for 6. If we're talking about numerical stuff. Um, It's uh, just, like, even if... There are heroes that traditionally are like, you know, go one way or the other, like there are ways to subvert it. And so you could create almost like these hidden advantages in those cases. But overall, like, if you don't know what certain matchups are like, like, like one deck, like one matchup that like I don't actually completely know right this moment, Visarai versus Briar in the current meta.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Like, who's the beatdown? Right. Maybe it's Viserai. Maybe it's Briar. Right. Briar has like a little bit of high roll thing. So maybe he wants to prolong the game. Like she wants to prolong the game. So um, those are just like things to think about. But if you're not sure, the best way to kind of get there is by testing and actually just playing some games and kind of witnessing the process yourself.
0: Yeah, I, I think for testing as well, this is, this is like a little personal rant of mine. People who just play games and call it testing versus like actually testing so like things that you actually would want to test for example in this matchup that you're talking about briar versus Phi. or sorry briar versus viscerai you should have one player try to like play more defensive one game and then switch it up and then try it playing a little bit more aggro you shouldn't always like play every game to just like try to win in the strategy that you have previously identified as being like the one that you want to take uh when you're testing yeah, I, there's definitely some value in the first I want to say about
1: 20 games of playing any hero in uh-huh. any matchup in any purpose. And that's just like mechanically getting used to
0: 20 games. That hero. Oh, there's so many games.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think if you're trying to prepare for like an event, like so, some heroes, you've already played 20 games before, before yeah. even sleeping that deck up. Right. Yeah. But I think like you should at least have about 20 games just so that you're not making like mechanical mistakes. Sure. You're not forgetting a tunic because it's a tunic hero you're uh, like what are some specifics i don't know like if you're playing chain which i guess is no longer relevant in
0: in cc but like just forgetting to banish the top cards your deck like like you attack with briar you forget to make the embodiment yeah like
1: little mechanical things like that some heroes just like have less of it but um i do think there's value in that just like whatever as long as it's a game just play some games but once you get to that point where you like those have a mechanical um, procedural things are no longer, like, a concern, um,
0: then, like, actual testing is is a lot of answering these questions, I think. Yeah, yeah. So, like, what are my key cards? Uh, mm-hmm. What life total do I need to stay at before I can, like, do my big turn? Do I, like like, yeah. what do I need to do in order to stop my opponent from getting their big turns? Yeah.
1: Like, identifying a situation where you have to block of that snatch because even though you could attack with it, you need to actually stay above 10 for some, whatever reason, because on a future turn, 10 is about how much life you need to, in order to keep the whole hand. All
0: right. And I think, uh, is that all that we really have? So I am making a, an account on rate my podcast and I will provide the link to, to this, I believe that it should help the discoverability of our podcast in the future to have reviews. Uh, for mm-hmm. now, if you submit a review, uh, I think if, if we think that it's funny or, or it's interesting, maybe we'll shout it out on the next episode. Yeah, we'll just put a link in the description on YouTube. Um, if you're not able
1: to find it, just come onto the YouTube channel and you should be able to see it there. Yeah, I think uh, upcoming next week, we'll have a normal episode as well. Um, right now, of course, it is the skirmish season, so it's sealed in blitz. I apologize in advance that we didn't really talk about Sealed or Blitz for today's episode. I think... Are you playing um, much Sealed? I don't think,
0: personally, I'm not too involved in Sealed and Blitz at this point. Yeah, yeah. Watch your first episode for Sealed. The The spoiler <laughs> is just play Fi. Yes, yes. Um,
1: But the weekend after that, we are going to... Well, I guess even that weekend is still another Scrimmer season. But the week after that, we'll be in Singapore. Right. And so we'll be exploring uh ah, that great island and and playing some more draft and cc. All
0: right, sounds good. Uh again, please leave a, a review. It'll help the searchability of our podcast. And thank you so much for listening. And I will see you on the next one.